This is a Federal News Network podcast. Maybe it's lack of leadership or lack of attention, but the Justice Department has failed on a critical congressional mandate. That's according to the Government Accountability Office. Justice has been required to update a national strategy to deal with online exploitation of children every two years. For what's actually happened, we turn to the GAO's Director of Homeland Security and Justice Issues, Greta Goodwin. Ms. Goodwin, good to have you back. Thank you for having me, Tom. This report states that since 2008, Justice has had to implement this national strategy and update it every two years. And what have they actually done? They are to update it every two years. But what we found in our work is that they've only updated it twice. So the act was um, put out in 2008, and they didn't make their first update until 2010. And then their next update was six years later in 2016. It's 2022 now, and so they haven't had any new updates since the last one in 2016. And this strategy does what? What's the basic purpose of it in the first place? So it has a number of requirements for DOJ to address the exploitation of children, and they're supposed to develop a strategy and find a way to implement it. And, you know, the current strategy is called DOJ's National Strategy. They're also required to designate a senior official who will be responsible for that strategy. And what we found is there's been no permanent senior official responsible for the strategy, so it lacks leadership. They're also required to include goals, do a trend assessment to get a better understanding for kind of where the technology is and what some of the concerns are. And to date, as we mentioned, DOJ has only updated the strategy twice, and they don't have a permanent director to oversee everything. Right. You state that in 14 years, nine detailees have rotated through the national coordinator position, and Congress wants that to be a permanent position. That's correct. That's correct, because you need someone at the top of this strategy to provide continuity, to provide leadership, and just to provide the knowledge base and to have a better understanding of what the concerns are. As we note in our report, the technology is changing at lightning speed. And DOJ, and you know, as they're developing the strategy, you know, how can they ensure that they're on top of the technology, that they're paying attention to the pace of the increase in the technology? And what about Homeland Security? Does that have a part in this or any other units of the federal government? They do. So the Department of Justice is to partner with some of the other agencies to get a sense for what they're doing, also to draw on some of their expertise. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security has a component within their agency that deals with Homeland Security investigations, otherwise known as HSI. And so DOJ partnering with other components like that would better help them be prepared to address some of these issues. Because this seems like a pretty important statutory requirement, as you point out, Congress mandated this in a law back in 2008. What's your sense of what's going on in justice that they haven't really gotten around to staffing it and and doing the updates they require? So when we reached out to the Department of Justice, we provided them a draft copy of the report. As you know, that they did not respond. They did not provide an official response to our recommendation. So they have pretty much remained silent on the recommendation that we made. And our recommendation is for them to find ways to better coordinate, to find ways to better ensure that they are managing the concerns around the online exploitation of children. What they have provided to us is that it is a priority and that they are, you know, doing things, have things in place, have strategies in place to help address this. But as we note, the national strategy is currently six years old and there is no director. So that speaks to a lack of preparedness 
for for them being able to address this issue. We're speaking with Greta Goodwin. She's director of Homeland Security and Justice Issues at the Government Accountability Office. And I would think, if nothing else, the rise of TikTok would uh, spark a update in the policy and in the strategy, because that was not so much of a factor six years ago. Now it's a national security concern on many fronts, and including the kind of stuff, let's say, that it delivers to young minds. Absolutely, Tom. And, you know, one of the 19 components of this strategy is for the Department of Justice to do a future trend assessment. And so in 2008, there was no TikTok, right? There was no TikTok. Some of the online gaming platforms didn't exist. And what we know is through you know, different types of social media platforms and activities, we know that the online exploitation is increasing. When we spoke to NICMIC, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, we learned from them that in 2021, they received 29.4 million reports of suspected child exploitation. That's an increase of 35% from 2020. So that tells you that this technology is increasing. That tells you that the exploitation is increasing. And in order for DOJ to remain on top of these things, they really do need to have this strategy in place and to have a coordinator who is overseeing and, you know, ensuring that things are being implemented properly. And what can be some of the consequences of online exploitation? That is children meeting with people who are really sexual predators, for example, or giving up personal information such that the families can be identified and people can do things to families is that's the type of thing we're talking about. Yeah. So the type of things we discuss and we, you know, in our report and what we learned when we were doing this work is, you know, that the platforms allow for grooming or predator will come online and will be in a conversation with a child often on some of these online gaming platforms. And so they will be grooming the child to get them to the point where they're at, they start asking for inappropriate photographs and they will, they would, you know, the child would send the photograph And then the predator would also engage in what they call sextortion, where they would they would either threaten or try to blackmail the child to either send a photograph or to send more um, explicit types of photographs. And so this is something that, you know, if the Department of Justice had the strategy in place and had a national director to help oversee it and had the ability to, to pay attention to these future trends, that would be really helpful because we know that as these, as these online gaming platforms are increasing, we all know that our children are playing them and often they're playing them right in front of the parents. This is how um, important the issue is because your child could be playing a game in front of you They've got their headphones on, they're, you know, playing the game. There's a predator on the other end of that game that you may not know about. All you know is that your child is playing a game in conversation with someone. That someone may be a predator. And it's right there under your own roof without your knowledge. Sometimes in the same room with your, the parents are in the same room when the children are playing these online games. Now, it is also fair to say that the FBI does pursue this kind of thing. They plant, you know, honeypots to try to attract the predators and this kind of thing. And every so often you hear about a celebrated case. So it's, it wouldn't be quite right to say the Justice Department doesn't do anything about it. It's just that Oh, that's-, that's correct. They are very involved. They are responsible for the investigations and the prosecutions. And so we're not saying that they aren't doing anything, but we are saying that according to the, the Protect Our Children Act of 2008, there are certain things that need to be in place. And DOJ has not has not put those things in place. We're what 14 years later, 
And we're still asking for DOJ to do what is required of them under this act from 2008. And the word strategy has specific meaning because strategies in the federal context have elements, 19 elements for a strategy. And the Justice Department has not, even in the strategy it does have, doesn't have all 19 elements. That's correct. That's correct. They only have, they have less than half of the 19 elements currently. And so we're asking them to basically do what is required under the act. That would not address the issue in and of itself, but it's a way to start for them to start addressing the issue. Because another thing that we learned about some of the challenges that DOJ faces is, you know, the pace of the technology, keeping up with the pace of that, ensuring that they have trained investigators, trained law enforcement officials, so that they know kind of they're keeping up in terms of what the platforms are, where the technology is going. So it's very important that they are on top of those things. And they did share, when we talked with the Department of Justice, they talked about that, some of their challenges with keeping up with the pace of the technology, ensuring that they had a trained workforce. Right. So now you you need a specific response to this recommendation, though, that and you're still waiting. Well, I wouldn't say that we were waiting. You know, we issued the report. They did not respond to the recommendation. So it's it's there. And you are free to ask them. <laughs> what their response would be to our recommendation. But we provided a copy of the report to them. And, and in keeping with our protocols with, our, with the agencies we work with, we allow for them to review the report and provide comments and respond to our recommendation. And they have not. Greta Goodwin is Director of Homeland Security and Justice Issues at the GAO. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. And we'll post this interview along with a link to her report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Be sure to subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost... uh... Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and 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 physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, and on, I obviously will say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see, you know, throw, uh, send in my information and lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn, uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, DC. And 
you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom and comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by always happy, always enthused, uh, has a, has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out. And come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so. Uh, joyful and and uh, I mean we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics no one's excluded you know no, right. no one's excluded everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics it, and you know in a country that's quite divided on so many lines politically and uh, socially uh, economically race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get... How can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. 
Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.